Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. You know, this topic this week is very timely. It, it, it's the hottest part of the year, you know, as we get into August. And I know parts of the country have experienced heat waves. Other parts of the world are going through this right now. But talking about anhydrosis, just as a, it's a unique topic, but it's important, right? Yes. And if anyone has experienced anhydrosis with their horse, it's maybe not something you think about until it's you. But it mm-hmm. it's pretty challenging. You know, I looked at some surveys and the number of horses afflicted with this varied, but up to 6% of the total horse population was estimated in some studies. Right, right. And it, it's, I've dealt with it with one, one mare. And, you know, I specifically remember dealing with her and have to carefully manage. And I've dealt with hundreds of horses, especially in a university environment, but still 6% is pretty high. I mean, that, that that's a pretty high, high number. Yeah, it is. And I think with any horse thing, we always talk about percentages. And if you're the person who owns that horse, you're like, I don't care what the percentage is. It's important to me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think a, a good way to start this off is, is kind of describing what exactly anhydrosis is. And, and it, again, how does this manifest in our horses? Sure. So if you look at the really technical definition, it is impaired thermoregulation caused by sweating that is inadequate for ambient conditions. And what that more simply means is that horses, the majority of the way they lose body heat when it's too warm is through evaporative cooling, which is through sweat. So about two thirds of their heat loss is by that evaporation of sweat. The rest of it's through their respiratory tract. So like if a horse has worked hard, they're going to sweat, but you can also see them blowing a little bit. That's them releasing more heat by kind of puffing harder. But what it means is that a horse will build up heat and it just simply doesn't sweat appropriately. So it makes it really hard for that horse to actually expel that heat. And if you go back to the episode where we talked about heat stress, there are very significant health impacts on the horse if it can't cool its body down fast enough. Right, right. I mean, it was like 60, 70% of their recovery after exercise is lost, that the heat is lost through sweating. So we see, we that's why, you know, that rich lathery sweat we always talk about, that's normal for them, right? Yes. Yep. So in a normal condition, when a horse is warm or when it exercises, its body produces adrenaline and that adrenaline has an important job, which is to stimulate those sweat glands to produce sweat. So, you know, that's how they're releasing that heat from their body. And unfortunately, and what we call non-sweaters a lot of the time, you know, for multiple reasons, we don't fully understand, but those sweat glands, they're overstimulated because of excess adrenaline production, and then they just shut off. And sometimes they shut off all the way and a horse just doesn't sweat at all. A lot of times you'll still see like maybe a little bit of sweat under your saddle pad or girth, but their neck, their flanks, those areas where they really normally lose a lot of heat because of sweat, they just don't get sweaty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy when you do see it. 
manifest itself in a horse and you're like, wow, that's not normal. <laughs> so it, one of the questions I had, you know, especially researching this topic and to see if you, what you've come across, any specific breeds of horses or classes of horses are, are at greater risk of anhydrosis or what are, I guess, what are some of the other risk factors? Yeah, that is a great question. So there've been multiple different surveys and across the board, there doesn't appear to specifically be any breed, gender, even type of discipline that is more apt to have this issue. Um, You know, you certainly can see it very readily in your high performance athlete because we work those horses hard. If they stop sweating, it's very apparent, but it even happens in horses that have, you know, no job at all, ones who are just kind of hanging out. So, you know, there have been some studies who've kind of looked at, you know, is there a genetic background? Really interesting. One study found that if a horse had anhydrosis, they were seven times more likely to have it if there was a family history of it. So that suggests maybe there is some sort of genetic predisposition. We don't understand exactly what that looks like or what lines of horses it's in or anything like that. The biggest factor that really stands out is the environment. So extreme stress, a lot of times temperatures, living in hot and humid conditions, those tend to trigger anhydrosis starting in horses. Although on the same side, there's lots of horses who live in those places who don't have it. But a super interesting study looked at horses that were native to Florida and then horses that moved to Florida from Midwestern or Western states. And they found that those horses who moved from further north, cooler, drier areas were two times more likely to develop anhydrosis than horses native to Florida. So one of the things when I was looking at this topic, Nicole, was, you know, what are some of the other signs we may see? You you mentioned lack of sweat, but, you know, with our anhydrosis horses, is it a sudden thing? All of a sudden one day they stop sweating or could it be gradual? I don't know what you found. Yeah, it's super fascinating. So the answer is both. And that may be because in all likelihood, there are multiple mechanisms through which horses stop sweating. So basically saying there's multiple ways it goes wrong. But in some horses, it is gradual. And you'll just find slowly over time, they sweat less and less. Other horses, it can be overnight. And really fascinating, there are some um, examples in the literature of horses where they over a couple hour period had excessive sweating, like they sweated way too much for their ambient environment. And then all of a sudden they completely stopped and they were non-sweaters after that. So unfortunately, there's no single answer to that question of does it start slow? Does it happen fast? Some other things you could look for, because I'd say more typically, they probably kind of slowly develop the issue, is you would pay attention to how your horses responded after exercise. So it, it depends a ton on the level of work they're doing and their fitness level. But if you get comfortable with your horse's recovery time, so you can identify what's normal for them, you'd be more easily able to pick up a difference. So if we say on average, probably a 30 minutes after they've stopped working, so a 30 minute cool down time, you know, if you're noticing things like increased respiration after that amount of time, uh, your normal respirations around 14 breaths per minute, 
increased heart rate. Um, so resting, you know, resting heart rate for the adult horse is usually between 30 and 40 beats per minute. It varies by the horse. So it's good to know your horse is normal. But if heart rate and respiration are still high after that cooling off period, that's a good indicator that they're not dissipating heat appropriately. And then you can grab your thermometer and actually check their body temperature. So especially if they're still in that higher body temperature, think, you know, 104 degrees after you've given them that cooling off period, that's a really good indicator that they're not dissipating heat appropriately. And then, you know, especially as it goes on, they're not as interested in drinking water. They can be lethargic. Obviously, if it gets pushed too far, they'll go into heat stress, which can be a really significant problem. If your horse maybe isn't doing a job, so you're not as likely to pick those signs up, just paying attention to kind of how the horses as a whole are responding to the heat. So if all the other horses are hanging out in the shade, but they're a little bit sweaty and you see one horse is completely not sweaty, but kind of huffing and puffing, that would also be another indicator that, hey, maybe something isn't right here. No, those are all good tips. I mean, absolutely. You know, it's just... You can always tell if your horse is in distress after, you know, especially exercise and, and during that cool down period. So switching gears a little bit, what are some of the the dangers of anhydrosis in these horses? Yeah, so the big one is that they would go into heat stress. So their body isn't able to dissipate heat appropriately. And we definitely did a whole podcast that talked a lot about that. But on the extreme end of heat stress, I mean, you actually have death. I mean, horses will collapse and, you know, go into shock because their body is so, so hot. Yeah, it's scary. And again, you know, looking at all those signs and you can see your horse is distressed, you know, obviously contact your veterinarian immediately if you see some of these. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to be to be less dramatic, a horse who is mild may just have a lower performance. They're not recovering as quickly. You might kind of see some differences while you're riding. You know, they huff and puff for a bit longer, things like that. Well, and then what are some things we could tell owners to do, how to manage if they have a horse that's suffering from anhydrosis? Yeah, the big thing is looking for opportunities to help them dissipate heat. So, you know, keeping them in stalls during the heat of the day, using things like fans or misters can be really helpful. Uh, You know, this is actually really interesting. I've followed a lot of the equestrian Olympic coverage and it's super Mm -hmm. hot and humid in Tokyo. Like there are actually significant concerns about horse welfare because of that. And one of the things that they did was they air conditioned the stables. Now I'm not saying that us normal people would probably air condition stables, (laughs) but (laughs) you know, you can afford that. Yeah. I know. The reason for that is one of the risk factors for these horses is when you have temperatures, they can be hot during the day, but if they don't cool off at night, so they stay above 70 degrees Fahrenheit and they stay humid, horses aren't able to dissipate their heat load day to day. So I thought that was a really neat thing they did in Tokyo, which was we recognize these horses are going to work in the hot and humid conditions and they had all, I mean, really cool misting tents and Mm -hmm. lots of ice Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. But 
they also set up an environment where those horses were able to dissipate their heat load. So they spent time in that air conditioning. So again, not something we can realistically do, but really neat to see kind of the general concepts applied in that high performance situation. But fans, misters, limiting exercise to cooler parts of the day. And I've definitely seen people, you know, hang a bucket on a post in their arena and, you know, every five, 10 minutes, however often they'd stop and they'd actually run water on their horse's neck because their horse wasn't sweating very well. Mm. That water will help do the same job if you kind of sponge them a little bit and recreate sweat. So there are ways you can get creative. Um, not that anyone loves body clipping, but even body clipping them during the summer, their uh, coats their right. coats are lighter. But anything you can do to help them dissipate heat is really important. So it's mostly controlling their environment. Right. Just to, to, to ensure, you know, they can stay cool. I mean, it just it, it harkened back. I remember, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to, to see them, but the Budweiser Clydesdales and their trailers were all air conditioned. I mean, just top of the line. So I know we all can't afford that, but you know, <laughs> stuff stuff we can do, you know, barn safe fans, things like that are, are all important tips. That That's good advice. Now, one question I had, you know, obviously, you know, you're a nutritionist and I've read some things and, and I know there's not a lot of peer review, or maybe you did find some stuff that, you know, some scientists are pushing out there, but dietary effects on anhydrosis. What are some of the things we should think about when not only planning on what to feed them, but things that I guess we could, we could look at to help them? Sure. So I want to read you a quote I found in one paper that I thought was hilarious. Mm -hmm. And it said, there is no reported treatment for anhydrosis that passes even the lowest standard for evidence-based medicine. (laughs) There you go. There you go. There you go. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, ultimately diet does not cause anhydrosis. There are things that we're going to think about in terms of supporting those horses, Unfortunately, and I totally wish there was, but unfortunately, there's no silver bullet from a dietary perspective that's going to make a non-sweater sweat. So I think the number one thing you would think about is just a well-balanced diet. So thinking about the basics, good quality forage, a concentrate that balances that forage. After that, you know, for these horses, we definitely do look at their electrolyte Uh, provision. So, you know, a little additional supplementation can help them drinking. A lot of times their electrolyte levels in their blood are off because they're not sweating. So the main thing there is providing electrolytes that are primarily salt-based. So a little bit of sugar is helpful for absorption of electrolytes, but there are some products that are mostly sugar and that's not really doing the job you want to do. And then For the most part, electrolytes should be mostly salt with kind of a little bit of the other electrolytes. So that can definitely help support these horses. You know, there are some anecdotal reports of providing additional levels of some nutrients like vitamin E or vitamin C. Both of those are antioxidants. You know, you don't don't really, I can't see a mechanistic reason why that would reverse anhydrosis in any way. Mm -hmm. But you think about these horses are not dissipating heat well, they probably do have additional oxidative stress on their systems. So I think it'd be certainly warranted to feed a very well fortified feed that has good levels of things like vitamin E and vitamin C as additional support. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I always just go back to just general stress. And anytime a horse is in a stressful environment, whether it's training, because training is stressful, you know, exercising, you know, you want to ensure they, they have a really fortified diet to meet their nutritional needs. So, you know, just the basics. And then on top of what you just mentioned, so all good stuff. And then just kind of to wrap this up, Nicole, did you run across anything that the long-term outlook for these horses that suffer from anhydrosis? So it's so incredibly dependent on the individual horse. There are some that when you kind of take those steps to modify their environment and the type of work you do and be very cautious, they can go on to lead very productive performance careers, provided you're pretty careful. Unfortunately, there are others who are more dramatically impacted. I think we've all seen the for sale ads of, you know, the horse who would do better in a cooler climate because they don't do well in the southern states. So that's, you know, definitely an option. But I would say, you know, if that's something that your horse is faced with, you just need to do your best to support, you know, basic nutrition, evaluate the environment, and then evaluate the individual horse. Because unfortunately, especially because we don't really understand the underlying mechanism, it's very hard to develop clear guidelines because there are probably multiple things going on that all show themselves as a horse who doesn't sweat, but the exact reason they don't sweat can be very different. No, yeah, it's all, all good stuff. I mean, that's, you know, unfortunately, if you are dealing with this horse, it, 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 it is tricky, but hopefully you found some useful information in this podcast that, that will apply to your animal. And again, if you ever have questions, you know, especially anything dietary, please always feel like you can reach out to us. But I think we'll leave it at that this week, Nicole. You know, it's a very interesting topic. I know we've got some really exciting ones uh, in the pipeline coming. But for all the listeners out there, you know, thank you for sharing this, you know, on social media, any other links you can. We really appreciate it. But please stay tuned for next week and a new topic. Awesome. Thank you, Chris.